Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live, Learn, Lead with me, Alison Geskin. Today, live from sunny Australia, we are going to deep dive into the business and personal sides of Alexa Senna, who is in the business to make business better for human beings. And this, my friends, is leadership in action. With experience spanning the world, Alexis is driven by the purpose of seeing businesses embrace a new way of being, a way that prioritizes creating authentic, intentional, and mindful organizations where all employees feel seen, valued, and heard. She's worn many hats from corporate marketing and local government. She's worked at the national Australian media outlet Fairfax, and she's also led management at the much-loved global environmentally sustainable retail brand Patagonia. And it's through experiencing the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership and its effects. Alexis's passion to bring mindfulness into how we lead was born. Qualified with a business management and entrepreneurship degree, master's in organizational psychology and a practitioner's certification in mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy. Today, my friends, I want you to sit back, buckle in, for we are about to go on one hell of a great ride learning from Alexis how to lead with mindfulness. Yay, welcome. So exciting. It's so fun to listen to someone read uh, the story of your career back to you. (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, oh, that's that really (laughs) (laughs) Makes it sound so much better than it is. (laughs) And I'm so glad that we could connect. And I have to tell everyone who's listening that I get time zones (laughs) mistaken all the time. So I'm in Mountain Standard Time and Alexis is in what, Australian time? Yeah, Australian Eastern Standard. So we have a few different time zones here as well. Which is why I always get our times wrong. (laughs) It's a fun time. Yeah. So Alexis, what is leadership? You know, it's an interesting question. I think for me, the more I dive into leadership, the more I really understand that leadership truly is a set of behaviors that define individuals and the way that they choose Mm -hmm. to show up in their organizations. And I think there's a misconception that leadership is about a title that one holds. However, you know, some of the worst leadership behaviors I've ever witnessed in my life have been through those who hold titles of leadership positions. So I think for me, leadership is really about how we choose to show up and the behaviors that we choose to align with and enact in a day-to-day way in our organization. So for me, leadership is about inspiring others through being the best version of ourselves. Mm. And so how do and how can leaders show up? For me, in my personal experience, the first thing that I really understood to be critical in this idea of showing up is firstly getting to know yourself. And for a very long time um, in my career, and especially when I was younger, I was 
really presenting myself in a way in business that I thought was expected of me. So I was really conforming to this idea of what I thought leadership was about. And it really left a very little room for me to actually show up as my authentic self and, you know, through my own alignment with my own values. And at the time, I didn't even really know what I stood for in a lot of instances because I was so aligned with this expectation and it just left little space for actually being my authentic self and showing up in that way. So I think this concept of showing up really calls for us to dive deeper into understanding ourselves first and foremost. Right. Do you think, though, that even if we look at, you know, leadership behavior and kind of like that leadership culture even 10 years Mm -hmm. ago, you know, you weren't allowed to be vulnerable. You were expected to look, behave a certain way. There were parameters. You were in a box. Everyone dressed the same. Everyone went through the same protocols. You weren't allowed to show emotions. You weren't allowed to deviate, you know, from what you thought corporate leadership was, which I think is fantastic. But why do you think this this element of vulnerability and being able to show up individually and be accepted for who you are has changed? You know, it's such an interesting question. Um, And I guess I'm of the demographic that we've kind of seen in the last decade, almost like this existential shift in how we show up (laughs) at work, you know, and like, let's think about it for a second. We spend like half of our day at work. So if not, more. if not more, exactly, at least 40 mm-hmm. plus hours a week. And if you're in a leadership role with a leadership title, likely more. And I think what we've seen in the last decade is this idea that people are starting to question why we're conforming to these norms that feel like a fragmented version of ourselves at a human level. Why are we one person mm-hmm. in the workplace and one person in the home and one person for our friends? And I think it's this kind of idea that we're wanting to feel more integrated in how we conduct ourselves in life. And as a natural flow on from that, we're seeing the want to do this in the workplace as well. And I think we're just seeing this shift in what work means to us. And we're seeing the shift towards intention and a deeper sense of purpose in work because we're we're fortunate enough to to be able to do that now. We're in a position where we can start to look at these things and start to understand that there may be a better way for us to conduct business and a better way to spend that 45 hours of our week (laughs) in a way that feels in alignment with ourselves and feels intentional. So I think it's almost to me feels like almost like this greater existential shift into asking ourselves this deeper question of why, why have we conformed to this for so long? If -hmm. it's making so many of us sick and unhappy. Well, and I think besides being vulnerable, I also think that there's a big preconceived right or wrongly expectation that the higher you go, the more you need to know, mm-hmm. right? You're responsible for, you, you're being paid to know the answers. You know, failure is not an option. I, I'm seeing that, that shift where I'm working with people and leaders that it's okay to fail and failing is actually a part of learning. And I think there's a cultural shift there too. Absolutely. And I think this has been sort of the sad state for a long time that, as you mentioned, the higher we get in our companies or careers or the, you know, the bigger our uh, leadership title becomes, we become the knower and not the learner mm-hmm. or we, we lose curiosity. And again, it's this idea that we're conforming to what we think is expected of us. And 
it's kind of ridiculous to think that in any position you would know everything, right? Like who on earth knows everything about everything? And I think we've lost a lot of that ability to continually learn when we start taking this position of being a knower. And so it's really exciting to see this vulnerability come through in how we lead and admitting that we don't know what we don't know and really opening that opportunity to learn. And I think learn in ways other than just developing our knowledge and technical skills in the roles, right? Like we're seeing mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion becoming paramount importance in a lot of companies. And that's because we're understanding that there's so much to learn from one another and the way that we interpret and see the world. That That's all part of our learning as a leader. And I think it requires good courage and vulnerability to actually say, yeah, I don't know everything. And that's actually, that's cool. Yeah. That's the point. You know, I think about all the leaders that I have the privilege of working with all over the world. And if I could, you know, thread them together, one of the things that I find common, like the one thing that they have in common is that they feel alone. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. And this was when I started sort of designing some of the mindfulness courses and interventions that I offered. The one thing that I did notice was like there was this unmet need for leaders to want connectedness you know? And Mm -hmm. what's interesting is that it's our innate human nature to want to be connected to other human beings. So then when we conform to this expectation as a leader that we kind of stand alone on the hill, we sort of fail to recognize that we're not meeting our own human needs first and foremost there. And that's, it's really fascinating to me that human beings do that to ourselves. As leaders, again, we're beginning to understand and we're beginning to look at the research that t- that tells us a lot more about how we can be part of the group rather than stand alone from the group, mm-hmm. but still lead from a place that isn't kind of power over. And I think when we feel alone, it's because we kind of put ourselves on that hill in that position of like the power over. I don't know. What is your experience? Like, how, how do you find leaders articulate that question? Because I, I find it fascinating. I think that, you know, a common theme that we end up talking about is the fact that that the balance between being united and being inclusive and collaborative, yet still having to make tough decisions. Mm -hmm. And we know that leaders have to make tough decisions. And those tough decisions have ripple effects throughout the whole entire organization. It's cascaded throughout. And so it's this kind of balance between, you know, walking in step with everyone, but at times you're going to walk in front of them and at other times you're going to walk behind them. And so you don't really kind of know who to be. Mm. Or if you're leaning too much on one side, then when you have to, you know, tote that hard line or make really hard decisions. I mean, you think about some of the hard decisions that have been made in the last 18 months. Complete lines of businesses have been eradicated. Lives have been affected. So how can you be collaborative yet still be responsible for those tough decisions? And I think that's maybe a little bit of that push and pull at warness as leaders were starting to see them more dipping their toe into, you know, leading with humility and, you know, leading with, you know, I like to call it participation. Mm-hmm. But they still have those tough decisions that they have to make. And ultimately, the buck stops at them. Yeah. And I guess that's what makes it really, in essence, such a courageous role, because I think sometimes that degree of separation 
makes it a little more comfortable to make some of those hard decisions. You know, like when you have that just one degree of separation between yourself and your staff, making those tough decisions makes it maybe feel a little bit less personal. I'm not sure. I I wonder if we ask the leaders that we work with and the leaders that are listening, if you feel like you're courageous in leadership and you do you feel like it takes courage to be a leader? And I think maybe that's where the link is and the space that you play so well in, which is mindfulness. Yeah. And I think what I liked when I was listening to you speak then is this idea that maybe some leaders don't actually identify as that. They're they're doing it. They're being courageous on a daily basis, but they don't self-identify as being courageous or even maybe authentic. And I think that's where this idea of like really looking and reflecting on ourselves and our values and then aligning with that best version of ourselves really helps us to start mm-hmm. showing up in a way that feels authentic. And it's and it's I think it's okay that leadership doesn't always have to feel great. No, and there's a large part of what leadership is is becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable and I think that's where a lot of practices in mindfulness can really support this is this idea that our brains are designed to keep us comfortable, right? So that we naturally push away uncomfortable feelings, uncomfortable scenarios, and that's what our brain's designed to do. So when we use practices like mindfulness in the workplace and in the home, we can really start to, I guess, separate ourselves from our thoughts a little bit and to see them a little more impartially, a little more objectively, and sit with some of those tough circumstances and those uncomfortable moments and know that they aren't what define us. And that's what makes leadership difficult sometimes is we feel a personal attachment to the outcomes we produce. We feel sometimes a sense of personal responsibility for our employees, even though tough decisions need to be made. And I think when we can bring this idea of humility through in how we lead, we can begin to become a little more comfortable with the uncomfortable. And so if we could have leaders truly see themselves in the role that they lead. And it is not for everybody. Like leadership, as much as I say, like parenthood is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Leadership is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. It it takes, as you say, courage. It takes humility. It takes being uncomfortable. It takes not always knowing what to do or having the answers. And it's okay if things blow up. What would you say to a leader that's listening, that's, you know, struggling kind of on that teeter-totter, that balance, what advice would you give them to be able to be okay with who and what they are in leadership and just really just show up, show up in that arena. I'm here. I'm going to be courageous. I'm not going to have all the answers. I'm probably going to make a lot of mistakes, but if you come with me, I will support you. You will support me and we will go on a tremendous journey together. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I think the first thing I would say, and you've already essentially mentioned it, and that is that it's, again, really critical to understand here that if you're entering a leadership role for the title, oh, man, you better get out of the kitchen because mm. you were going to get burnt because it's not the point. You know, it's about the behaviors. And I think one of the most fascinating things that I've learned especially in the last few years when we're looking at a lot of the research around personality and what personalities make for great leaders, I think historically we've seen a lot of extroverts and these concepts of like charismatic leaders. And we've always associated that with being strong leadership. 
But I would say my biggest advice to anyone moving into a leadership position for the right reasons is to understand contextually the things about you that can become your strengths. And I've worked with introverts in leadership that have been some of the best leaders I've ever met because they don't try and conform to the expectation of what they think or what we've historically defined leadership as. And they've accepted those parts of themselves for what they are. And then they've used that contextually as a strength. And I think that is where, again, mindfulness can really be so helpful to us in leadership and helping us understand ourselves and helping us to accept those parts of ourselves for what they are and then use them as our strength. And I think that's that's always been really fascinating for me is to understand how different personality types can cultivate this idea of mindfulness and this practice of mindfulness into showing up again as their authentic selves and not trying to conform to that yeah. expectation and that historical dialogue that we've created around what makes a good leader because it's bullshit you know like it doesn't exist it is bullshit yeah. when you work with leaders how do you link that and so i always think that the inner work mm -hmm. it starts with you like if you're going to go some through something you got to go through yeah. it and the you know the first part is with you you really understand yourself so that you can understand others and, and it's a process but once you understand yourself what would you recommend to a leader that is going through that process really understanding him or herself you know warts and all but how do you link that to breathe life into it how how do you communicate that? So if I'm, let's say, a brand new leader mm -hmm. and I'm running a team of, let's say, 20, you know, I'm really good at what I do. I've got, you know, great technical skills. I've got some EQ. I've got some IQ, of course. I'm, I've been identified as a high potential, so there's a lot riding on it, a lot riding on me. How would you, in the first, like, even first week or two, recommend to communicate who you are, what you value? as a leader to the people that you will be leading? That's a tricky question. And I think, again, using mindfulness in that scenario, what I have found both personally very valuable and valuable with a lot of the young leaders I've worked with is to begin witnessing yourself in the workplace setting to begin understanding where and how those values show up for you in the workplace and where there's room to bring <laughs> through more of this idea of, self-authenticity in certain areas of that in the workplace and where there's capacity to I guess expand our concept of what some of those values mean to us and again witness ourselves and how maybe some of those values show up differently for other people and a lot of what mindfulness teaches us is this concept of non-judgmental awareness and understanding mm. ourselves in varying contexts and how our values may might be a little pliable in different scenarios in the workplace as well and how they present to other people. There's, I guess, two sides to self-awareness to understand here. And that is firstly our internal self-awareness. So who we are, why we do what we do, but there's also our external self-awareness. And that is how other people actually perceive us. And sometimes we don't always understand that there might be a gap between those two, our internal world and how that's actually showing up externally might not always be aligned. So this what do you mean? I'm perfect. <laughs> what do you mean they don't think I'm perfect? I'm perfect. Don't worry. That one rattled me too when I first, uh, you know, I've always viewed myself as being like a very authentic, strong, you know, assertive, but very 
compromising leader when I first got feedback from the first, mm-hmm. actually the team I managed at Patagonia. And they were like, you know, sometimes it's actually really intimidating the way you say things. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like practically the friendliest person ever. Um, but it was just this idea that, you know, how it felt internally and how I felt it should be perceived isn't always how it's being perceived. And how other people perceive you is their yeah. reality. And that's the bottom line as a leader is is getting this perspective, this external perspective on how your values actually present and how they actually affect other people. And then that that really helps us then when it comes to leading our team to understand how we affect them. And maybe we're, again, this area for honing some of that EQ to better connect our mm-hmm. values with our purpose and then how that affects our team. So I think mindfulness really helps us, again, to observe ourselves and observe ourselves in different contexts and start to maybe close the gap between our internal self-awareness and that external self-awareness. So that for me would be my biggest advice to any new leader. If you have a really high sense of self, that is amazing. So let's start bringing some awareness between your sense of internal self and and how that actually shows up externally and how it affects other people. Mm -hmm. And so how would a leader go about doing that? So I think cultivating a mindfulness practice um, is a really key way of doing that and in the workplace one Mm -hmm. way that we can do this is um and it sounds so much easier said than done but again this idea of actually yeah (laughs) as all things but bringing ourselves to the present in various scenarios to actually witness ourselves in that and detach ourselves from how we think we're interpreting the situation to how we're Mm -hmm. truly observing the scenario and that's again this mindfulness calls for us to be non-judgmental in the moment. So actually just witnessing the moment for what it is without creating interpretation and meaning around it. And the second most valuable thing new leaders can do is actually ask for feedback. And that can be super confronting and super uncomfortable. And in my my personal experience, really, really freaking uncomfortable because I thought that I had, you know, I've studied management, I've studied mindfulness. Like, obviously, I'm a good leader. I know these things, but there's a big gap between knowing and true integration of how you're showing up. So asking for that feedback and being open and receptive to it as a tool for growth is is really very powerful. I think, though, that a caveat to that, though, is that you've got to set the psycholo- like a psychologically safe environment. Because if you're given feedback once and that feedback, you don't listen to that or you don't receive it in the way that it was intended, the signal that you get, whether or not, or pardon me, the signal that you give, whether or not you intended it to be or not, is don't give me feedback because you're wrong, right? One of the tools that I love and that I I have seen work really well is the start, stop, Mm -hmm. and continue. And so leaders, when you're just learning, or developing your own style of receiving feedback for feed forward purposes, because it's not enough just to get feedback. You've got to turn it into feed forward. What are you going to do with that feedback? But a really simple technique is simply ask, you know, Alexis, what would, what, what can I start doing? What can I stop doing? And what should I continue mm-hmm. doing? And then I would have you, Alexis, ask me the same thing. So we're creating this like equilibrium and it's awkward for the first couple times you do it. But once you get into a rhythm, you end up really deploying the sense of radical candor where you're really caring about that person, but you're delivering the message that really needs to be delivered for growth. I really like this. You should, you know, continue this. You know, I really admire this. I thrive under this style. What you should stop doing is telling me and I'm an, I'm an idiot. Because that's not working. And what you should start doing is this. 
right? Totally. And I think like the biggest thing underlying that entire concept is this idea of being curious as a leader and accepting that we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and so feedback is the only way that we can actually truly grow. Because if we keep operating from this concept of already being right and already knowing ourselves, we can't really ever understand how others are perceiving that and interpreting that and how that's affecting them. So it, it all comes back to this baseline of just as like almost like a self-awareness tool is like accepting that we're not going to be able to see ourselves in every light. And that's, that's cool. What wisdom can you impart for leaders? And it's, I think it's part of human nature, right? We don't like to hear things that don't paint us in a pretty light, but that's a part of growing. So what wisdom can you impart leaders that are listening that maybe perhaps when they're getting feedback, it feels a little sticky or it doesn't feel good or, you know, inadvertently they go auto automatically to the negative. Oh, I don't, I don't see it that way or, or but I, let's, just agree, let's just agree to disagree. Well, that doesn't help anybody. But what would you recommend to leaders to kind of have that self-check, that ego check? You know, it's such a hard question and the reason it's difficult is because there are so many layers on layers here like we we think that what we're talking about is how we show up as a leader right but essentially what you've just asked is when someone's mm -hmm. telling me that there's something about myself that they don't like how am i going to take that and what we need to understand as human being is quite often our first reaction to that is an egotistical reaction and not i'm not saying like egotistical from a perspective of like people showing up egotistically but the ego is one of the first things about ourselves that we develop as a child right and as a child when we don't have our emotional needs met or we feel unsafe that's when our ego forms these protective mechanisms. And so as an adult, when someone tells you something they don't like about you, whether you believe it to be the case or not, your core beliefs feel like they're being pulled into question here. Your worth, um, maybe your mm -hmm. sense of abandonment is being questioned here. And I think that is sometimes what can feel really uncomfortable for us and where we attach too much meaning to the feedback we're getting, right? Me, you telling me, hey, Alexis, I don't like the way that you're conducting meetings isn't you telling me, hey, I think you're a shit person. But my psyche is essentially deciphering the meaning in the same way. And I feel attacked almost at a core belief level. So I think for a lot of leaders, what can be really valuable here again is firstly doing the inner work, you know, doing the work on your self-awareness to understand where some of those triggers are actually I guess we'd call them maladaptive, you know, like responding to feedback in a way that feels threatening to your very core identity is simply not the case. So just becoming aware sometimes mm -hmm. that when we're feeling that feedback, it might be triggering deeper, deeper levels of fear than are really necessary in the scenario and just allowing ourselves to say, okay, it's fine to be uncomfortable right now. And also understanding that another person's interpretation of you isn't isn't the truth or isn't ever calling into question your core identity. And for me, that was a big game changer because I grew up as a really high achieving student. I played sport at really high levels. I did really well at university. I've always been good at everything I tried. So for me to take on feedback is really, really uncomfortable because it doesn't fit well with the identity that I believe 
to be my core self. And that is a high achiever. And that is someone who gets validation through achieving at a high level. So feedback for me for a very long time was deeply uncomfortable and still is uncomfortable. And every time that I get feedback now, as an adult, I do have to basically self-soothe myself in some of those instances and say to myself, hey, it's fine. This is an attack on you as a human Mm -hmm. being. This is just feedback that we can work with and we can interpret and we can make changes for growth, you know, and that is sometimes something for me that is very overlooked in leadership is we don't always understand how we can't actually detach our work selves from our core beliefs and our um, core identity. And that's that's something that can be very powerful when we understand that we can make it feel less harmful to who it is as we are as a human being. We just need tools. We need tools to learn how to communicate. We need tools so that we can, you know, help decipher the bullshit story we tell ourselves versus what really is true. And then to weigh that truth and not take that truth personally. And so what do you do with that truth? How do you make an improvement? How, How do you, you know, solve that problem? And I think it is all about tool building, but I do think it does start, as you say at the beginning and at the core, which is mindfulness. Because if you can't see it, you can't fix it. If you can't feel it, you don't know what exists. Exactly. And so to be mindful about it. But I also think it comes with, and I love you know the space that you're playing in. It's almost like you're giving permission for people to look at themselves in the mirror for what they truly are. You know, magically, perfectly imperfect because we all are. Right? No one gets a hall pass in perfectness, and we're all fuck ups in our own <laughs> way. But it's okay. Right. I think the trick is, is that it's okay to recognize it. But the important thing is, is what are you doing about it? And that goes back to originally what you said is, how are you showing up? Absolutely. And you're so right. And and I love this concept of we are all fuck ups in our own way. But when we create facades around Mm -hmm. this to hide that from other people Mm -hmm. is when we create shame around this concept of not being okay with showing up as who we are. And let's face it, some of the greatest things and some of the greatest self-discoveries we may have made in our lives have come from redirection, mistakes, grandiose fuck-ups. You know, we we have yeah. to try and fail and try and fail and maybe stop trying certain things and just try something else before we work out what's the right mm-hmm. fit for us. And it comes to when we lead other people as well. Like there's no formula for leading people in the right way. We have to feel into it and we have to feel into ourselves and we have to be okay with the parts of ourselves that aren't perfect. It's part of the fun, right? It's the spice yeah. of life. If everyone was perfect, how bloody boring would life be? So oh, <laughs> it's part of it. And I think it's just part of the journey. And becoming okay with that is much harder, much easier said than done. Much easier said than done. And it is a practice. Totally. It's something that you have to practice all the time and it's never done. It it should always be evolving. It should always be growing. You should always be evolving. You should always be growing. You should always be learning and really looking at yourself and reflecting, you know, how could I have done things better? But I also think it's important that when you do your own self-reflection, that you communicate that self-reflection back. So let's say you're in a meeting and, you know, you think it's going okay. There weren't a lot of verbal things happening, but there were lots of nonverbal things that were you were picking up. Most people would just let it slide. The trick is to get uncomfortable in that space, to go back and say, so, you know, this is what I was feeling. 
you know, I'm getting a sense that there was some underlying tones. Let's just create a safe space and have a conversation about that. Tell me what you were feeling. Now tell me what you saw, what you heard, what you felt, you know, help me grow and learn, help me become a better leader. And in turn, it also will help you become a better communicator and also learn what your boundaries are. What do you like? What do you don't like? So let's learn together. And if you can create that space where true communication happens, that's where I think leadership is really, really, really meets its mark. Absolutely. And I think it's this idea that our brains create meaning around things that are unsaid as well. And so as a leader, when we leave things unsaid and we don't take personal accountability to ask the uncomfortable questions, we have to acknowledge then that people will start creating their own meaning around scenarios, situations and conversations. So it's having the courage, as you said, to ask those hard questions and coming back to this idea yeah. of creating psychological safety around this and creating a space where people feel safe to share. And that does start with us doing the work on ourselves and asking the questions, well, how am I making or how am I feeding into the psychological safety of my workplace and how can I do better and how can I psychological safety isn't about comfort let's be sure of that this isn't about creating mediocrity and mm-hmm. comfort it's about creating the right amount of friction for growth so we need to be uncomfortable we need to be asking the difficult questions and we need to be creating space for people to share things that might not sit well with us because that's their reality and until we address those things we're just leaving the elephants in the room and they'll just keep piling up you know how would you counsel a leader that you know has done their work in mindfulness, like worked for you with with you as an example, and done all of the work, and then is working with a team or a special project, and although they've been creating that that safety space and having those really good conversations and opening up themselves, you know, for learning, but the other side, that other person or people, aren't used to that and find it really foreign, find it really awkward, and therefore, you know, aren't meeting you in the space. What advice would you give a leader that's already done that work, tries to bring it into the works, workplace, and then have it a bit fall flat because that's not where they're comfortable at? Yeah. Again, it's such a complex question because it, it calls for us to have this level of acceptance that other people, you know, might not even be chasing that level of like, to go to a philosophical level, like that level of self-actualization in this life, you know, some people just aren't ready for it. They're not okay with it. And I think in the workplace, it's, you know, there's this idea of understanding ourselves and our authentic selves. But then I think there's a lot to be said around then creating, you know, shared values and visions in the workplace around this as well and understanding how this looks Mm. and feels and talks and sits with other people and then creating some group norms around that I think is really important. And I'm sure this is a space that you, you know, work with a lot of leaders and organizations and doing because again, like I'm an extrovert, so I'm okay with Mm -hmm. talking about anything. There are no topics that can be left off the table, (laughs) you know, like that. I'm, I'm cool with that, but I've worked with introverts and my personality in some circumstances almost makes them withdraw even more. So it's just understanding and accepting that different people will be comfortable with different levels of, and have different you know, like interpretations of certain values and what they're okay with. So I think there's a lot to be said for creating more of a group value and vision and set of boundaries and expectations that we can expect from one another. And 
knowing that some people and different cultures here will have very different levels of what is okay. I lived in Japan for a minute and they are very collective there. So this idea of like individualism is much lower. So like speaking out at a business meeting is like not okay um, in certain circumstances there. So it's understanding that different cultural contexts and different um, experiences and your conditioning, it all, it all plays a part here. So there's just a certain level of acceptance to understanding different people will show up differently and be comfortable in different situations. But I think the more that we can work together to really drive a shared idea of values and boundaries is really, really powerful in helping people feel safe. Well, and I love that because most organizations, they'll work through corporate values. These are our values. These are our pillars, you know, and they're expected to be waterfalled. But what I love what you just said, and I think is like a really key kind of takeaway is to create your own group values, your own group norms. And that can be different for different teams that you lead in different groups, but really setting parameters, boundaries. Here's our playbook. Here's how we're going to work together. Here's how we're going to problem solve. Here's what we're going to do when things go off the rails. Here's how we're going to bring them back on the rails. Here's how we're going to communicate. Here's how we vibe together. And it you know, can, of course, link to those corporate values, but those corporate values were most likely made up in a boardroom. Totally. And had no certain and had no penetration to us. We were just told what our values are. Makes sense, right? Truth, loyalty, trust, yeah. that all makes sense. Whose values? Like- but how we work, how we work together, how we problem solve, what happens when things go wrong, how we communicate with each other. If we can set those, even if you're a team of two or you're a team of 2,000, that I think is brilliant. I'm going to take that away. I hope everyone takes this away, by the way, because that is brilliant. Yeah. And, and that's it, right? It's it's creating this idea of like shared norms. Like what are we okay with in this group? Not what does mm-hmm. corporate tell us we should value in loyalty, trust, all these kinds of things. Like does anyone ever read those, by the way? Like I, I've been worked at so many companies and I get head values and I'm like, whose values? Like I don't value this crap. <laughs> What does it mean and how do I exactly. apply it? Exactly. Like they're, they're just words yeah. on paper. But when we can, as a team, work together to understand how people work comfortably and how people work and feel psychologically safe and how we can actually create mm-hmm. the expectation of one another and then hold each other accountable to that, that's where we really start to find teams building trust and creating that necessary friction to grow. So good. So good. No wonder you, you know, are who you are and you play in this space like no wonder it just all of this just i just go mhm mhm mm-hmm. <laughs> so a couple of key takeaways that i got today that i think are really important know that if you're in a leadership position even though it doesn't feel like it you are courageous because it takes courage to show up as a leader the next one that i took away from you is to always ask yourself like almost every day how are you showing up and almost have that mindfulness check-in. How are you showing up? And then that third piece, which is if you feel or you got feedback that you weren't showing up the way that you intended it to land, to have the courage to go to that person or that team and have a conversation. What did you see? What did I see? Don't agree to disagree because that's bullshit. Find a way through it so that you can find that common ground and keep going until you find that common ground. Because then I think that's where the magic happens in leadership. 
and then work on, work on yourself through mindfulness. And how you do that is working with great people like you. Yeah. Instilling some personal practices, you know, and I think obviously meditation has become quite a buzz right now, but for good reason, give yourself the time to create space between yourself and your thoughts and give yourself the time to, you know, bring your nervous system out of a state of stress through things like meditation and mindfulness Mm -hmm. walking. These things are all really critical in allowing us as a leader to show up as the best version of ourselves. We can't show up as the best version of ourselves if we're constantly stressed, constantly ruminating, constantly future focused and never in the present. So that's also really important to understand as well. Those practices will really support that. Beautiful. And that, my friends, is leadership in action. Really. Alexis, thank you for joining me today. I got so much value out of this. I'm like, I've got to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm going to practice this. It was brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing today. No, thank you very much for having me. I think it's podcasts like these and getting information like this to leaders and to organizations that are really going to help us see a shift in the way we do business. So thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Live, Learn, Lead with me, Alison Geskin. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow. And a great free way to support this podcast is to review and rate it. Always remember, my friends, that the most powerful thing you can be is you.